0: Happy Holidays, everyone. Here's wishing you and your family all good things during this holiday season. Happy Holidays from our team here at Planet 30. Jerome Willock is the definition of determination. After moving from his native Montserrat to Anguilla, Jerome continued to learn about his childhood passion, flying, what began as a dream and, quite frankly, what seemed far-fetched, became his reality as luck would have it his family moved into a house right next to the airport jerome would sit and watch planes land and take off at anguilla's airport dreaming about flying one of the aircraft one day after high school he worked for a telecommunications company while many his age were partying and spending frivolously jerome was saving and focusing solely on his dream he eventually gained employment at a local aviation company. This motivated him even more. With a stroke of luck, seemingly straight out of a movie, he was able to go to flight school and become a pilot. Although flying smaller aircraft was a huge accomplishment, Jerome wanted more. He traveled through many hills and valleys, had several ups and downs, but today... Jerome has a massive experience and is a pilot for one of Dubai's top airlines. He flies throughout the Middle East, Europe, and Africa. He is living his dream. Jerome's story is certainly a testament to discipline, hard work, and never allowing your dreams to disappear. This is the tale of a little boy from a tiny island who accomplished exactly what he set out to do. This is the story, thus far, of Jerome Willock. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. is an airline pilot living on the other side of the world. This guy is so fascinating I just had to have him on the planet. Jerome Willock, welcome to Planet 30.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here brother, thanks for the invite.
0: Oh man, my, my honor, my honor. <laughs> Jerome, tell me what, what was it like growing up, we're going to start from the beginning and then we'll find out how you got on the other side of the world, but what was it like growing up in Montserrat and Anguilla,
1: two tiny islands. Well, um, I lived in Montserrat. I was born in Montserrat. Um, I was there for, uh, I think, 10 years. I left Montserrat when I was 10. (laughs) Came to Anguilla in 1995. uh, And I think it was June, June 1995. Um, The volcano? Well, the funny thing is, right, it was before the volcano, right? Because my dad migrated to Angola for for you know employment purposes. Um, but we had a big family. So he brought my sister, myself and my nephew and the others stayed back in Montserrat with my mom. Um, so we moved to we moved to Anguilla and it was really, really disappointing for me because I really loved my village and my friends and, you know, my school and all so it was a big a big change. Um, when I got to Angola and saw how flat it was, you know. Um, no mountains, no trees, no fruits, no rivers, you know, it was a big change. But uh, I grew I grew to love Angola. Um, but shortly after that, maybe like a month or two, the volcano erupted. So then the move became permanent. And honestly, it was one of the best things that happened to me because I think if I didn't come to Angola, none of this would have happened. So yeah, we'll get into that. Um, but living in Angola was... Definitely a great experience. Uh, I, I I made a lot of lifelong friends, and it just so happened that I lived right next to the airport in Mansar. I couldn't see the airport. I didn't see planes. I didn't see anything. So that that was a big um, plus for me. You know, but basically in anywhere in Angola you could you could probably see planes you know? but in In Mansar um, we definitely couldn't see anything. But Angola Angola was Angola was. One of the best decisions, best decisions my parents ever made, and I'm grateful they did that.
0: Where, in Montserrat uh, did you
1: grow up? I like grew up in the city, and Webbs is just on the outskirts of Plymouth, so we could basically say grow up in the city, in uh-huh.
0: Interesting, interesting. And then the volcano erupted, and yeah, oh, yeah. So it would have been, yes. per, it would have been permanent.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think my dad was planning to be there for maybe a year or two max. Mm. Um, just to you know finish up a little job contract he yeah, had. but yeah after the volcano erupted uh, where we were our village was directly facing the volcano so the first paraclastic pyro- flow um, it covered our home and so basically we had nowhere to go back to oh, so no. we had to we had to stay in angola Park.
0: have you have you ever gone back to see
1: where you used to live There's no village here now, my brother. Nothing. It's completely covered. So there's absolutely nothing there, so you cannot go back. Wow, 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 wow. You know, it's sad because I can't show my kids where I'm from, you know? I can't take them to see the the little home that I grew up in, where I used to play, you know? So that kind of sucks, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's, that's just how it is, you know what I mean?
0: Wow. Beautiful island, though. Uh, I remember visiting there as a child. We stayed in Salem.
1: Oh, that's where my mother's from. My mother's from Salem in a little village called Happy Hill. I
0: know exactly yeah, I where know. that is, actually. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, my mother's from Salem. Yeah, just, and, uh, It's a wonderful island, you know, but full of culture, full of history, you know, just uh, Mother Nature, you know, just give it and take it away.
0: Yeah. So, Jerome, what was the dream coming up? Was it always to be a pilot once you moved near to the airport and saw the planes?
1: Always. You know, but the funny thing is, even before I moved to Angola, I always wanted to be a pilot. Oh. But living next to the airport in Angola, it, it, it sort of, you know... Up the ante. Made it, right. It made it seem more attainable, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was. I always wanted to be a pilot. There was nothing else I wanted to be. And um that's what I always tried to they were junk but i I don't know if you remember run but they always had like old planes outside old planes. of the fence. Yeah man, that used to be my pastime. I would go into old planes and sit on and, and and pretend to do flights. You know? When I was old enough I I got a job and I um bought flight simulator and I bought the controls or, or the pedals, the yokes and I would download the flight plans of Caribbean Star. You remember Caribbean Star? Of course. And, the, uh, and I would fly the exact route these guys would fly as these guys would fly daily, you know. So it was always a dream of mine and um I'm glad I, I was able to achieve it.
0: So you were in flight school before you were in flight school? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. When I went to flight school, I was ready, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell us how did how did the journey to actually becoming a pilot start like Give us, give us that rundown.
1: Well, um, honestly, my parents didn't have the money to send me to school. So I worked at cable wireless from 2001 to 2005, um, as an operator, I was able to move through the ranks. You know, I started out in the, uh, regional contact center. I don't know if you remember that contact yeah, center that employed yeah. basically 99% angular. Yes, But um, I uh, I started out in the contact center. I was able to move through the ranks and I got promoted and moved over to the business unit, which is the original cable and wireless. I then went back to the contact center and asked to be employed part-time. So I would work eight to, f- eight to five in the business unit. Then I would work six to nine in the contact center. Wow. I did that for a few years, saved some money. Try to get a loan from the bank, from the bank, what I thought was a lot then. Obviously, the bank was laughing at me. They said, Son, this is not enough to secure a loan to go to flight school. We should buy a piece of land. They said, Man, if I buy a piece of property with this money, you guys would just say it's not valued enough to get a loan, right? Is there anything we can do to get this loan? Anyway, I try to ask different persons, you know, to be a guarantor for me no one no one um, was willing anyway i was just online just googling you know trying to find ways of maybe getting a scholarship or you know what i mean some kind of way i could get a flight school this was in 2007. in 2005 i left cable and wireless and i went to work at lloyd's aviation because I just wanted to be in the aviation field, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he opened the FBO, which dealt with the private jets that came into Angola. So I went over there and started working. I would clean the aircraft and carry the bags for the passengers, different things, you know. Um, so a was just online, Googling, trying to find ways to get to flight school. And I bumped into this website called internationalstudentloans.com. <laughs> oh. So, I just happened to start reading and seeing what was going on with this website. And they said, we give student loans to anyone. I was like, All right, this has got to be some kind of the scam. scam. But anyway, what the hell I got to lose anyway? So I just filled out the forms and signed up. Like a few days later, they sent me back an email saying, yes, we can give you this loan if the school that you want to go to is a part of our list. So I said, man, these Africans working hard. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I, I checked the list and the three schools that I narrowed it down to were actually on the list. So I said, man, this looking a little legit.
0: This is either like a scam or god.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're looking kind of, you know, so I, um, I continued filling out the forms. I continued corresponding with these people, and it came to the last part where they actually issued the funds. So they said they needed a U.S. guarantor that could sign them sign for me in case I'm not willing to pay back. So I said, "Who in the right man would do this for me?" You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I asked a few family members. Everyone said, "No, of course." And. I had a close friend at the time, who was born in Saint Croix, so, and he's he was the same age as me. So I say I call him. I say, um, "Hey, bro, would you be willing to sign this loan for me to go to flight school?" He said, "Of course, of course, no problem." But clearly, you know, um, he's young, didn't consult with his parents, obviously. Oh
0: no.
1: And he just signed. He just signed it for me, you know. Oh no. So we signed it and sent it off to the to the. Uh, InternationalStudentLoans.com. A few days later, they said you are approved for the amount requested to go to flight school. We will be sending you a check shortly. Please send us your mail and address so we can send you this check. I said, man, these people are really walking over time. So anyway, I sent the address, and maybe a week or two later, I got the mail, and it was a check for thirty thousand U.S. dollars. Oh. So, bro, this is from Googling, all right? A check for 30000 U.S. dollars. This is the most incredible story. <laughs> right? I needed 45000 to go to flight school, 45000 U.S. This is just for flight school. Right. I'll probably need another maybe 5000 for lodging, food, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I say no issues. But I got to take this to the bank. Do I take this to the bank and get arrested for, you know, carrying a fake check what a deal is anyway i said you know what, i got nothing to lose i went to the bank i spoke to one of my friends in the bank i told him the situation i said i don't want any issues i'm just coming here to deposit this check and hopefully you know it can clear bro the check clear. wow <laughs> 40 u.s dollars i kid you not deposit in my account I was like, I can't believe this. Anyway, I called my friend. I was like, yo, it really worked? I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, those cruisers speak. Anyway, um, booked my flight the next day, went to Barbados, um, got the visa, came back, resigned from my job. The next week, I was in flight school. Where was flight Since school? Being... Flight school was uh, in Colonne Dale. Um, so professional flight training. This was all the way in Florida. Florida, yeah. <laughs> Man, this was the first time I've ever left home. First time away from my parents, you know. And it was it was quite interesting, you know what I mean? Um, it just so happened that my father was heading to Saint Juan, no, to Saint Croix. So we we caught the same flight on American. Eagle to Saint Juan. He stayed with me until I caught my flight to Florida, so what but, but it But it was tough, you know, being up on your own. You know, it is the first time you go out to university. No, of course, of course. Before the first few nights, you know, it was like, you know, you want this freedom, but when you finally get it, it's like, <laughs> now where's my mother, you know, where's my father? Anyway, it worked out well High school. Um, high school was everything that I dreamed of. It was a great experience. Uh, I, met, I made a few uh I made a few close friends and they're actually here in the Middle East with me now, you know, and um, it was it was really it was really a, a, a great experience, you know. So so Something how how
0: long, how long was flight school? Um
1: Flight School was only six months.
0: Okay. Six months. Okay. And yeah. and, and, and with that you you you, you learn how to fly what type of aircraft? Is
1: it Cessna's is you it You learn how to fly, yeah. Um Pistons, you know, Cessnas. Uh, beach aircraft just single-engine and multi-engine piston aircraft so pretty pretty small aircraft after flight school now you need to build your hours to be able to um, be hired by the airlines mm-hmm. so I came back to Anguilla I was employed by Anguilla, mm-hmm. flying the Islander which is nine seats yes <laughs> I did that for four years I was able to get the hours needed to get the airline transport pilot license which you acquire after 1,500 hours flying. Whew. So after after I did that, I went to... After I got the 1,500 hours, I went down to St. Thomas by Cleo. You know Cleo? He's from Angola. The uh, He has a flight
0: school, apparently,
1: yes? Yes, he has a flight school in St. Thomas. So I went down to St. Thomas. I did my airline transport pilot license. And um, I went to Cleo first. To, his flight school is called Ace flight school to do the... Um, airline transport pilot license. The funny thing is, for the past three and a half years, I was just flying around with Trent and lot you know, uh, doing the visual flying. You know, there's visual flight rules and instrument flight rules. Visual flight <laughs> rules is basically when you just take off and you just see outside and you fly. <laughs> okay. No <you> now, <laughs> like airline pilots fly, like you know, in weather and instrument landing, auto lands, none of that stuff. Anyway, and when I went to, by Clio. You know, I thought it was just, you know, happy go lucky kind of vibe. Little did I know, Cleophas is a very strict man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he very much into rules, regulations, books, knowledge. You know, it's it's not a cakewalk because he's from Anguilla and I grew up in Angola. No, no, no. If you come to my flight school, you gotta be serious. And brother, Cleophas handed me a new one. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, he really put me in check, and I really need to thank Cleo. I, whenever I see him, I, I thank him. You know what I mean? Because basically, he, he put me in line, and he, you know, told me to pull up my socks and you know read more, don't just be content flying around the place. You know, keep your knowledge up to date. Keep up to date with the rules. Keep up to date with the regs. You know, fly IFR every now and then. And don't just fall into the cowboy lifestyle of, the, of a Caribbean pilot. What? You know what what's I mean? IFR? IFR is in, instrument flight rules. Oh, okay. That's gotcha. basically yeah. That's basically what you fly when you're flying in the airlines, you know. It gives you permission to fly in at night, in bad weather, basically when you cannot see outside. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so, yeah. So um, I he made me you know pull up my socks basically. Um, he's a good man. Anyway, after that, I I, I was able to achieve the airline, the ATP, the Scholar ATP Airline Transport Pilot License, and shortly um, after that, I applied to Liat. But there's a funny story about getting uh, getting into Liat. You know, uh, I'll give you that story if you if you want to hear. Of
0: course, it. of course. Uh,
1: as you know, I was the first person from Angola to be hired by Liat, um, but it just so happened that. I was working at Transanguilla at that time. While I was at Transanguilla, I wanted to get into an airline job, you know? So what I did, I, I went to Millie Hodge and I asked her for a job as a baggage handler for American Eagle. Okay. Right? So I would fly in the day and at night I would do baggage handling for American Eagle in hopes that I could just get into the company, you know, that kind of thing. Well, let me anyway, uh, let me
0: ask you this: Did did, <laughs> did did any of your passengers ever see you in both roles and get confused?
1: No, no, no. My <laughs> passengers, my pa- funny enough, my passengers on Trans would not fly an American Eagle because mm-hmm. the clientele that we carried on in Trans were usually celebrities and right millionaires, you know, billionaires. They would never be caught an eagle. you know. So <laughs> yeah, so um, they wouldn't have seen me. But anyway, that caused quite a bit of confusion. You know, so eventually I had to resign.
0: Jerome, you mentioned celebrities. What are some of the names that you would have flown across the, uh, the Caribbean Sea between um, Anguilla and some of the other islands?
1: And most of the celebrities that we encountered or commuted were the ones who were heading to St. Barts. You know, uh, they would park their jets in Anguilla and then we would ferry them over to, we shuttle them over to uh, St. Barts. Um, guys like David Letterman. Bon Jovi, Alicia Keys, um, Jermaine O'Neill, uh, so much, uh, maybe Ja Rule, you know, guys like, I can't even remember half of these people, you know, because you'd see them, you wouldn't speak to them really, you know, but every day it was just someone new. Mm. And, uh, the most, no, the most uh, memorable guest I had it was Bon Jovi. Um, he came with his wife and they had quite a few bags. Um, I told him, I went to him and I said, um, sir, the you're overweight. You know, and uh we we are gonna have to take off some of the bags. He was like, Um, okay, it's not an issue. Take off all my bags and leave all of my wife's bags. I was like, Whoa. Wow. <laughs> that was that was quite interesting, you know. Most of the guys who you tell them um that you're overweight when they're rich, they usually they usually get quite upset, you know, and they don't usually want to take. I, like, I paid for this flight. Do you need to take all of my bags. Yeah, but he was quite.
0: He was quite. Um, he was quite nice. Yeah, I've always heard that he's a nice guy. You know, um, he has a restaurant in New Jersey. I think that caters for the homeless, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Really nice guy. But anyway, back into the story. Um, so you 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 become a baggage handler at night. You're a pilot during the day, and then you. Uh, so you're working for American Eagle.
1: Yeah, I was working for American Eagle. That didn't last too long, maybe a year, a year and a half. And um, I had to quit because it was causing a bit of, you know, with my current employer at the time. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fact that I was working at nights with the um, American Eagle. Anyway, I had to quit. I had a good friend on the airport, Susan, Susan Hodge, was her name, I think. She was the manager at LIAT, and she always would encourage me to do my exams that I needed to get into the app, which was the Antigua pilot license. Mm-hmm. I took her advice and I went and I did the Antigua pilot license. I told her that I completed it and she said, okay, she'll try her best to help me to get into the app. Uh, there was one day that it just so happened that the director of flight operations, George Arthurton was in Anguilla. Apparently he's the nephew of Burners Lake. Okay. Um, Susan called me and she said, Jerome, I think the name is susan richardson anyway she called me and she said "Jerome, um George is here can you come to the airport and meet him do you have your resume ready by chance i said yeah i have it i always have it ready she said come to the airport quickly so i rushed to the airport because he was leaving on the flight to Antigua. and i said and i met him he's like good day sir my name is Jerome miller i'm a part of here i'd like to fly on i'd like to be employed by leah he said, I didn't know Angola pilots wanted to come to Liat. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I said, yeah, I would, I would love to to be employed by Liat. It's my dream, you know? He said, okay, do you have your resume? He said, yeah, I have it right there. I gave it to him. He said, okay, if, we, if we're hiring anytime, I'll give you a call. I said, all right, fine. Obviously, I didn't think he would actually, you know, call. The thought probably was just being nice, you know, because Liat is the only airline in the Eastern Caribbean. There are thousands of pilots trying to get into Liat, you know? It's the only job, basically. Anyway, a few months later, I received a call saying, probably um, asking me to come for an interview. This time, I was still with TransAnguilla, so I had to find a way to get to Antigua to do the interview without it, you know, affecting the job that I had to do.
0: Wouldn't it have been, would it have been interesting if you had flown TransAnguilla's plane to Antigua to do the interview.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would have worked out too well, you know. But anyway, I um, they sent me a ticket so i actually went up on the to attend the interview um, i was successful in the interview however i was not offered a job i was not offered employment i was offered a place in their ground school so basically what they did was they invited 13 pilots to ground school and they plan to hire eight mm. okay the ground school would be two weeks of classroom work anyway um i needed at least vacation to go and do it you know because i didn't want to quit my job so i asked friends Angela, can i have vacation to go and attend the ground school?" i was honest you know what i mean yeah that was because yeah. another, said, another uh, person would have lied yeah yeah i was honest because i didn't think it makes it made sense to lie because if i lied i went there i got into the job they could have sent a, a letter to me saying this person is employed by us and they're in your gong school and you know it, it would have been a mess
0: yeah
1: yeah so um, they denied it, obviously. And I was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, this was my dream job at the time. This was my one opportunity to get into the yet. But at the same time, it was not a guaranteed job. You know, I could go there and not. So I decided, well, if they're not gonna give me my vacation, if they're not gonna give me the two weeks I have to go, I have no chance but to quit. So I effectively resigned immediately. <laughs> you know? And I'm sure they were happy. Yeah, they were not very happy. This is the first time I've actually speaking about it. Um it was what nine years ago. I've never told anyone, but it was quite they were quite upset. They sent quite a few emails, you know, that I still have. But anyway, that's what I the bridge. Um I left. I thanked them for the opportunity because honestly, they gave me a chance, right? They took me when no one else did. I came straight up to flight school. They gave me a a job. Um, I tried many other operators. All of them said no. And I stayed there four years. You know what I mean? I think that I paid my dues. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, stick up
0: in there, Jerome. Let me ask you a question. From my understanding, wouldn't the private private, uh, job with Transanguilla... Was that more lucrative at the time than Liat, or was the airline situation more lucrative?
1: No, the airline situation was was a different level. Man, right? it, it's not even close. You know? Okay, okay, okay. And, um, it's not even close. The only the only upside of trying Anguilla was being in Anguilla, you know. But I mean, being in Antigua is, not, is just half an hour away, you know. So it's not really that much of a big deal. Um, needless to say, I went to Liat. Yeah, I did the ground school, and I was successful. I then became the first um, Angolan pilot to be employed by Liet. And I spent three and a half years in Liet as a first officer.
0: So, Jerome, you are now, you were now the first pilot from Anguilla at Liet. What, what was that feeling like?
1: And to be honest, the first couple of weeks, it was, it felt like a dream, you know. Um, when I was home in Anguilla and I got that call saying that like, you've been selected, you're one of the eight selected, um, it felt surreal. real. I remember running outside the house, running around the house screaming. <laughs> just <you> no <know>, aesthetic. <laughs> that um that it became a reality. Um, but then came the point that I had to, you know, sit down and realize that hey, you won't be living in Angola anymore. Even though it was only 30 minutes away, it still it still affected your way of life and how oh, you did things. And you know, um, just being around because I had my son at that time, Jamal, mm mm-hmm. And he was only like four, I think. Yeah, around four or five. So I had to move away from him. Um, And then I had, you know, like little things like basketball and fun. finders. Things that I I, I really enjoyed and was just a part of my daily life that I just had to stop. Um, That part hurt a bit, but, um, you know, sometimes you have to put certain things aside if you want to progress in it.
0: Speak, speak to, uh, speak to sacrifice because this entire story thus far sounds like a lot of sacrifice. So where did you get the, the will to really give up on those things and, and, and see the bigger picture? Because I think a lot of people get caught up in where they are and they're too afraid to shift out of their comfort zone. So talk about sacrifice a little bit.
1: Honestly, my entire life has been about sacrifice. The first sacrifice we made was moving from our island, um, second one i had to make was moving away from Anguilla, you know from my comfort zone from my mom's cooking from you know your friends from just life as you know it you know what i mean um the second sacrifice the third sacrifice we have to make as pilots is constant studying i've been a pilot now for over 13 years and reading never stops every six months you have to take a medical if you fail your medical, it's probably the end of your road as a pilot, end of the career as a pilot. Every six months, we have to do simulator training. Once a year, we have to do a, a annual line check on the aircraft. Once a year, you have to do um, ground school with exams. So it's the, the study never ends. You know, every day you have to be familiar with the notices, the weather. You know, you have to read, um, all you notice notices for the different airports you go into the charts. You have to be up to date with the uh, so certain um, airspaces. You know you can't go into some the restrictions the restrictions around airports that you fly to the war zones. So there's so much thing that you have to read. Like usually before I go into work every day, I sit down for maybe an hour before the flight, and I have to go through the notes, go through my um, flight plan, um, the weather where I'm going, the news, make sure they were. <laughs> Even certain things like just check to see did, were there any bombings, you know what I mean? Sometimes, because we fly to places like Afghanistan, we fly to places like Somalia, we fly into war zones, you know? So you have to keep up with the daily happening just to make sure that, hey, um, you know, you're not flying into something that, somewhere that you don't want to be at that time. So it's, it's constant sacrifice, you know? You have to miss certain things just to be able to keep up with, um, the Korean, make sure that you're abreast of everything that's going on. So, how how
0: long were you at Liat? So I spent I
1: spent uh, three years at Liat, 2011 to 2014.
0: And did you did you have a particular route, or do they just send you wherever on that
1: particular? Well, route? I did, I did, I did, I did all the I did all the routes at um, Liat, but... So from Trinidad to. We went as far south as Trinidad, Guyana, Curacao, Okay. And we go up to San Pedro Mico.
0: Wow. That's almost the entire archipelago.
1: Yeah, almost. <laughs> <laughs> so when you left, Liat... Leon- it was a fun time. I really, I really enjoyed my time at Liat. Made some great friends. Um, we, we stayed in a few islands. We overnighted in a few islands in the Caribbean. And, you know, great friends, great food. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. Honestly, one of the best times of my career.
0: I mean, being a pilot traveling to, to different Caribbean islands every day, of course, it sounds like a dream.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
0: So after after Liat, you went where? Uh, to another airline,
1: yes? Yeah, after Liat, I went to Copa in Panama.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting one. <laughs> How so? You yeah, know, I, I was at Copa for just two years. Um, I did not enjoy my time in Copa. Okay. The airline itself is an excellent airline. Excellent airline. Excellent operation. Um, excellently run. But my time in Panama was not a good one, mm. to be quite honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, racism in Panama is real. And the funny thing is the people in Panama are, are mostly black folks. But for some reason, uh, they think they're not. So racism is a real thing in Panama. Um, the salary at Copa was extremely low um uh, you saw one thing in the contract but when the taxes hit <laughs> the checkbox different you know what i mean so right. and there were a, there were a lot of hidden things in the contract that we did not know we, we would have to do like for instance when we went there we had to complete an entire pilot license again and we had to pay for everything the trainer's salary was terrible it was just a really long and drawn-out process the training was over a year it was, it was really not a good experience. So, um, but the fly. Do you speak Spanish? I started to learn Spanish, but I do not speak Spanish at this time. You know? Right. <laughs> While I was there, I learned enough to keep me afloat, keep me um, from getting lost, keep me from getting in trouble. But um, no, I'm not fluent in Spanish. So, after Copa, you did what? Well, after Copa, I came to the Middle East. But that's a quite interesting story, to be honest. Um, as I said, I was in Copa for two years. The routes, however, in Copa, the, the places they fly to, the destinations, are extremely attractive places. They, as you know, they fly to South America, North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. So they have really, really nice destinations. The layovers are amazing. The crews are amazing. Um, we we would overnight in places like Cancun, Miami. Um, Las Vegas, Toronto, um, Rio, you name it. It's just Trinidad. It's it's just the the layovers were amazing. Um, I had this layover. Sometimes we do like four day layovers. Oh and wow! You'd hit three different you'd hit three different places. Um, so, before that layover, I heard of I heard that this airline in the Middle East was hiring. It's called Fly Dubai. So I applied and they. Schedule an interview for me in Miami. So what I did, I, I scheduled it around the time that I had a flight to Miami. So I had a four-day period, which was the first night in Cuba, Havana. Mm-hmm. The second night would be in Ecuador, Guayaquil. And the third night would be in Miami. Anyway, I got to Ecuador and went and I got my usual shawarma because they had some real nice shawamas in Ecuador, and um came back to the hotel room to watch Pacers versus raptors <laughs> never nice forget a state. yeah while i was in the room i was talking to colin and the room started to shake i said like, yo colin um, i think i need to go outside because there's an earthquake the day before that there was an earthquake in japan anyway as soon as i hang up the phone bro the building started shaking like crazy. All I could hear was, eh, scare, scare. so I looked outside and everyone was running. So I grabbed my pants because I didn't have on a pants at the moment. just my box. <laughs> I grabbed my pants and I started running through the halls. While I'm running through the halls, the roof started caving in. No way. So the rocks dropping in my head. I had my phone in, my, in one hand and my pants in the next. I was only on the third floor luckily. So I ran, I started running, I took my phone and I while I was running, I sent my wife a voice note saying I love you, right? Because <laughs> I honestly thought I would have died. Wow. Anyway, we get to the stairs and as soon as we get to the stairs, the lights go out. I guess a shaking kind of like just cut the, the power. The lights go out and the roof is continuously falling. Anyway, we get outside. Thank God. And, you know, everyone is shaking. We're sitting on the floor, but there's no current. The phone lines are down, and everything is around us is, you know, all the buildings are falling, and it was a really, really bad out Anyway, long story short, over 800 persons died that night. Wow. We were lucky enough to get out, um, but I couldn't get in contact with my wife till the next day. You
0: must have given, that must have been scary for her.
1: Yes, yeah, she was she thought I was joking initially, I guess. But then they put on the news and then they saw that there was a big earthquake in Ecuador. And they were watching the news the entire night and the death toll just kept rising, you know what I mean? Till it got to like seven hundred and something. Anyway, finally I got to them the next day. But during the night the company tried to get us. We were outside sitting around for around maybe four hours. Some people without clothes, some people in their nightgowns, you know. Anyway, they drive us maybe two hours away, and we go to this hotel, and they're giving us rooms. I said, hey, man, I don't need a room. I'm not going in any hotel rooms tonight. I'm going to sit outside this hotel until it's time for to leave." And, bro, I sat down outside the hotel. I didn't take a room. Everyone else took a room and went to the third, fifth, sixth floor. I stayed outside. I said, I'm not going back in any hotel tonight. <laughs> anyway, the next day was supposed to be my flight to Dubai.
0: Well, well, quick question: so, Did you? Did, were you yeah. able to go back up to your original room to retrieve like your passport and all that stuff?
1: Well, yeah, we could not go back inside the hotel. But eventually, the staff they got the they got our all, all our belongings for us. Okay. Yeah. Um, apparently, our hotel was one of the better built buildings in Ecuador so it did not completely fall Mm. so we were able to retrieve our stuff um anyway the next day would have been my fly Dubai interview so that was cancelled obviously Um, a few months later they sent me another invitation to apply for to come and interview for the fly Dubai um assessment but this one would have been in Southampton UK not sure if you ever heard of it yeah, yeah 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 so i actually i flew up to new york then flew over to Birmingham, and went down to southampton on the monitor of the interview i gave the guy the directions to the interview he took the directions looked at it and drove me to what should have been the interview uh, place the interview should have the interview was scheduled to begin around 8 30 at quarter to nine, I'm like, man, where's everyone? You know, these people don't know time a lot. Uh, a lady came out and she said, "What are you doing here?" I was like, "I'm here for the flight Dubai interview." She said, "No, you're at the wrong building. You should have been at the, our other headquarters." So apparently, they had two um, flight centers. The guy just saw the name and took me to the wrong one. Anyway, she called the she called the other um, center. They said no issues. They'd wait for me, and they ended up reaching there hourly. The guys were nice enough to let me uh,
0: reschedule the interview, and I was, I ended up being successful for the job. Awesome, awesome! Anyway. So, Jerome, you decided to change your space again, <laughs> shake things up, go go into, get out of your comfort zone once again. What what is it about the Middle East or Dubai that fascinated you, and and where did you get that courage to? to say, you know what, you know, Panama is in my region of the world still. I'm going to all these fabulous places, but let's shake this up again and move to the Middle East.
1: Yeah, honestly, like like I told you earlier, um, Panama, I was not very happy in Panama. Um, the salary wasn't cut in it. I came back to Angola and I, I expressed my, my concerns about Panama with an older pilot who... Uh, well, that's for advice. He told me, son, if you're away from home, things should there should be a few things in place that makes it worth not being home. One, you should be heavily compensated,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and two, you should be happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you don't have those two things, you should be get your ass back home. Right, right. So at that time, I contemplated whether I should actually come back to Angola or try somewhere else. There were two places that I had in mind. One was Oman, Muscat. I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. And yeah. the second one was Dubai. And Oman, Dubai, Oman again, she,
0: is a, is a, is a
1: oil rich country. Yeah, it's country. not too far from here. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they gave very attractive packages, to be honest. It was very attractive, the packages. I was going to ask, because both are very yeah, uh, fabulous yeah, countries. Very attractive packages family-oriented packages. Um, and I was tired commuting because I've, at that point, I was commuting from over five years. And I wanted to be with my wife and kids. Dubai offered that opportunity, you know. They were very family-oriented. They pushed that in their packages that they want you to be here. They want you to bring your family. They'll take care of your family. They'll, You know, so the package was... Catered for families, and he, obviously they know what they're doing. You know, it's a marketing ploy to get you to come, and um, that was one of the things that stood out for me. And I think that's what made me so um so keen on coming to the to the Middle East. So
0: so, how did your wife react when you said, "Hun, I'm taking you from Anguilla, and we're gonna move to Dubai"?
1: <laughs> well, she was the one that paid for the trip. <laughs> You know, for me to go to do the interview. That's how bad she wanted to go. You know, but um, yeah, she she was all for it. And honestly, she's always been the one to say, you know, give this a shot, give that a shot. And uh, I'm thankful that I have someone like her in my company, you know, because maybe I wouldn't have tried it if she wasn't so willing to adapt to change. But right. she was uh, she was very excited. She was very excited. And um, one of the reasons that I pushed so hard is that because i didn't want to disappoint her you know mm-hmm. um she initially came to she came with me as far as the uk and she stayed in the uk for six months while i did my training and everything so that she wouldn't um the kids wouldn't disturb me too much you know? so mm-hmm. she's she's always been a writer man she's she's been she's been great and um, i'm thankful that i have on my car
0: awesome awesome how does a language barrier work, even in training uh, on that side of the world?
1: Well, English is the main language here. Um, obviously, they speak Arabic, but everyone speaks English. Right. So, the the English here is even more fluent than it was in Panama. That was one of the big deterrents in, in Panama because no one wanted to speak English. So, even if you learn Spanish, it's not your first language, you know. So, it would always be, you know, a little awkward, you know what I mean? But here, everyone speaks English, so it's it's it feels more like home.
0: In terms of uh, flying into some of the other airports, though...
1: Well, English is the language of aviation, so okay. everyone must speak English. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Now, some of, what are some of the destinations that you fly to now that you're with uh, Fly Dubai?
1: Um, well, we fly Europe, we fly to Europe, we fly to Africa, we fly to we fly the Middle East, obviously. We fly... Some of Asia, and we fly down to India and uh, as far down as Thailand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What's quite a f- and quite a few interesting destinations. You know, uh, quite a complex network, and it's so it's it, it's very um it can vary f- one day from extreme cold to extreme heat. You know, and that's what I like so much about this network because sometimes, uh, like today, my so my my roster will take me to somewhere in Russia tomorrow, maybe somewhere in Africa. And, you know, it's 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 quite interesting to be honest.
0: What are some of the uh, destinations that you've been to, even for an overnight? That, that that you like? What are some of your favorite places?
1: My favorite place is Croatia and Sarajevo. Uh, they're neighboring countries, Bosnia and Croatia, those are my two favorite destinations. What,
0: what's, and, um, what's the vibe like there socially, you know? Well, you know Bosnia was
1: hit hard by the war back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's far removed from that. It's one of the more peaceful places you can visit. Um, but the food is amazing. Bro, the food <laughs> in Sarajevo is amazing. I think that's one of my favorite things about it. The second thing about it is, it, is that it's extremely beautiful. Yes, I've seen, uh, I've, seen, winter, I've seen. It's a winter. It's a winter wonderland. Wonderland, mm-hmm. and in the summer, it's just, it's amazing. The, the weather is amazing. It doesn't get too hot, obviously, and um, it's green. It's lush. It's 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 amazing, beautiful, and it's also very cheap. So you can go there. You can plan. You can stay for a week or two. You can spend as much as you want, and you'll have a good time.
0: Awesome, awesome.
1: Parisha yeah. really speaks for itself. You know, there's. You have Dubrovnik. You have quite a few places. You have um, Split, Split. Quite a few places in Croatia that is speaks for itself. You know that's one of the um, that's one of the destinations most people try to get to.
0: So Jerome, you've been in this thing for thirteen years, as you mentioned. What do you enjoy most about flying?
1: What do I enjoy most about flying? Well, there's a few things that I enjoy. Um, what I still enjoy the most is that no day is the same. You know, when you work in an office, you know, it's the same people every day, same chores every day, you know, the same, basically you just do the same thing every day. It's very monotonous. Flying, there's no day that's the same, bro. Not even if you fly to the same airport every day, there's going to be something, you know, that may catch you off guard or it, there's always a surprise when it comes to flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pray every day that it's a good surprise, you know, but... You just never know. Um, but flying, flying um, you meet a lot of new people. Um, you go to new places. There's always something to do in a, in a new country, you know, history and food to eat and, you know, different things you can try, different places you can go and see. You, know, you rent a car and just drive. You know, I enjoy the little things. Sometimes I take the wife and we um, we explore. Like the other day, I took her with me to uh, Sarajevo. And we drove four and a half hours over to to Dubrovnik. And, you know, we had a good time. So there's always something new to do with flying. Um, I enjoy the challenging winter weather because coming from the Caribbean, we don't see much snow. So flying into places like Russia, flying into Ukraine, you know, um, Kazakhstan, um, Bishkek, these kind of places. Uh, Last winter, I went to um, Kazakhstan. And it was minus 26. Oh, no. Yeah, it was minus 26. So, you know, these kind of things that we're not used to. It's really exciting um, going into these places. Uh, I went into Bishkek last... Um, yeah, it was Bishkek. I went to the Bishkek last winter. And there was freezing fog. Freezing fog. Freezing fog. fog. Interesting. Freezing fog. It was so cold, it froze our... The fewer lines to the auxiliary power unit, so obviously we were grounded, couldn't leave. Yeah, so these kind of things it's quite exciting, you know. Growing up in Caribbean, never thought you'd experience things like this. Going into Odessa, going into places that are still you're still seeing the effects of communism, you know, uh, and it's quite interesting.
0: So, Jerome, how were you uh, received over there on that side of the world? Not not Dubai per se, because I know Dubai is a you know, international, cosmopolitan-type city. Um, but when you fly to places like Sarajevo and, and, and Kiev, and how, are people fascinated by the fact that you're from the
1: Caribbean? Well, the one place that I, I was received with lots of stares was in um, Moscow. Mm. I think they're not used to seeing people of my complexion, <laughs> <laughs> and um, especially the Asian ones. You know, because uh, some, some there are quite a few Asians in, in Moscow. They would come and ask, can I touch your skin? You know, can I take a photo? You know, <laughs> a lot of strange questions, you know. So Moscow was was a real eye-opener when the first time I went to Moscow. After a while, I got used to it, you know. And uh, another place that you're treated like a god is actually in Bangladesh in India. If you mention the word West Indies, In these places. Cricket. Oh my God, Chris Gale, Chris Gale. One time I went to Bangladesh, Dhaka, and I was with my crew, which consisted of mostly um, some white folks. Um, They were a lot shorter than me, and we were walking through the city. So everyone just automatically assumed I was a cricketer. Ah, ah, (laughs) And they came ah. running to me with their cameras, West Indies, West Indies, photo, photo, photo. You know, so. it's quite interesting. I enjoy. It. Um, but one of, one of my favorite places um, to go to, well, not favorite, but one of the most intriguing places that I fly into is Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I fly to mm-hmm. Afghanistan. I fly to Iraq. I fly into Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, we fly down to Saudi Arabia. Uh, we fly to Somalia. So these places are war torn. They have a lot of history. Uh, When I'm on the ground, I try my best to spend some time speaking with the locals, trying to understand their story and try to pick their brains and see how they feel about, you know. Um, Living on this side of the world has opened my mind a lot with regards to the happenings and, you know, what's going on in the world and stuff. So it's quite intriguing flying into these places and understanding what's happening.
0: Right, because you get to shape your own narrative from... What you Exactly.
1: And not just from the media, you know?
0: Right. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Now, tell us about living in Dubai itself. You know, aside from being a pilot, what's the city like? What's the vibe like? (laughs) What do you like to
1: eat? Uh, Dubai is is a quite futuristic city. Um, There's nothing you can't find. (laughs) There's nothing you can't do. You can go ice skating in the middle of the desert. (laughs) You can go snowboarding in the middle of the desert. You can... There's nothing you can't do in the city. If you think about it, you can do it. Um, It's quite, you know, we've grown so used to having everything at our fingertips that I think it's actually, you know, spoiled us quite a bit. Uh, We try to keep the kids grounded because, you know, you can get used to this life and think that nothing else exists outside of this bubble. But um, it's, it's a beautiful place to live. It's extremely safe. Um... The people are extremely friendly. The locals are humble. Uh, Honestly, before I came to the Middle East, I had this picture in my mind of the Middle East as this place where you just run from bombs and (laughs) and you run from, you know, people trying to blow stuff up. But honestly, this place has been the best city I've ever lived in. I've lived in quite a few places, and it's by far the best place I've ever lived in. My family loves it. My wife doesn't want to live anywhere else. Um, The schools are amazing, the malls are amazing, the cars are futuristic. I mean, my neighbor has a Tesla that he plugs in. You know what I mean? Everyone has (laughs) you know cars, Lamborghinis, and stuff. You 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 take them for granted because everyone has one. You know, so it's it's a it's a beautiful place to live. You know, uh, it puts you in this bubble that you have to stay focused and realize. Listen. Um, there's life outside of Dubai. You're not from Dubai, so do not get caught up in the blitz and glamour. So you have to keep yourself grounded. You have to keep yourself focused. And um, but it's a beautiful place, bro. It's, it's. A, I can't. I can't say enough about it. Um, I love the way it's run. I love the rules. So being from a place like Anguilla you know, the rules doesn't affect you because we are not people who who um disobey laws and you know what I mean do things that are while uh you know we are orderly people you know? so very is
0: uh, yeah, very yeah. conservative
1: yeah so living living in a city like this doesn't really affect us you know and so people say oh you can't go to the Middle East is I mean what laws are there that we will we we would be affected by none you know maybe the drinking of alcohol on the streets but I mean, <laughs> most who, people don't. Who right? does that? So, yeah, yeah. So um, it's fine. You know, we, we love it. And I, I think um, it's somewhere that we'd like to stay for a few years to come.
0: All right. You touched on something with your with your kids. Um, I was going to ask you, how is it raising quote-unquote West Indian kids in the Middle East? Like, do you try to impart a little bit of the culture, you know, the music, the food? And 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 sort of show them, where, you know, where they come from.
1: Well, my wife does a good job of cooking the Caribbean food. She's taught me also how to cook, so I, I try my best to keep that kind of, you know, meal plan going. Um, with regards to their accent, they sound Arabic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they sound Arabic, and my eldest son he always laughs at them, and you know, not in a Bad way, but you know they 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 have the Arabic accent. Um, in terms of in terms of schooling, they attend a British school, so the syllabus and stuff is similar to Anguilla, so it's not too bad. But we try to go home at least once a year so they can have, at least have a little bit of Anguilla and understand life outside of the bubble. What, what do they because think of
0: What do they think of the Caribbean?
1: They love it. They love it. Um, my Jalen, he's six, he's constantly asking to go to Angola. This summer we were not able to go to Angola because of COVID, COVID and he was extremely disappointed. When they're in Angola, they never use a tablet, they never use phones, they're hardly watching TV, they're always outside with their cousins. You know, and it's it's a different life. You know, it's a different life and um um I would like for them to experience growing up in Anguilla for a few years, you know, so that they can... Uh, because in, in Dubai, you don't really create real bonds and friendship because people are constantly moving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a place that people come for a few years and leave, you know. So it's, you know, it's like a... It's like a vending machine, you know, you just come and go and it, it's it's not somewhere that you can get, like, you know, lasting friendships and stuff. So it, it would be interesting if they could actually... Go to Anguilla and maybe experience a few years of of school and then, you know, life outside of Dubai.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Jerome, talk to me a little bit about maintaining a strong bond within your marriage. Having gone through everything that you've gone through, having your ambitions, you know, some ladies might have said, hey, you know, I'm not I'm not done with that. Let him go and do his thing. Um, speak to maintaining such a strong bond within family and within marriage.
1: Yeah, well, like I said before, my wife, she's very ambitious. She's she's very adventurous. So she was all for coming to the Middle East. Um, She's not one who just listens to what people say and go by, you know, what you hear. She does her own research and she would have done her own research. And Dubai was always a place she wanted to visit anyway. You know, so she she's always willing to give it a try. She always says, you know, listen, if you want to do something, we'll give it a shot. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But life is about taking risks. It's about taking chances. And as long as it's a calculated risk, as long as we're both in on it, then we'll give it a shot. You know, life is too short to be lived in one place. You know what I mean?
0: And I see that she's um, taking her adventurous spirit to another level. She started a YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, she started a YouTube channel, um, Fun with J. Will. So you guys can go and check it out. It's Fun with J. Will. Honestly, when, when it first began, I was not big on it, you know, because I'm not the type, I, I prefer to keep, um, you know, certain things private, right. for lack of a better word. But like you said, she supported my dream. So. It's only fair that you have to compromise, you know? I'm sure there are things that she may not like about the flying or whatever that she compromises with. So that's that's what marriages are about. You know how it is. Yeah. So I I stayed in the background, but I didn't... I try not to interfere too much with it. But, you know, I realized, you know, that's not enough and it's not fair. You know what I mean? So recently... I got the courage to finally show my face on the channel, and surprisingly, it was a lot of fun. You know,
0: I saw I saw uh, you trying to battle your son.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we did the taping for that today. Okay. Um, so it should be out. Um, maybe this Ricardo might be out after it, but anyway, we did the taping today, and I guess you you'll have to tune in to see the results. Oh right?
0: man, I'm looking forward because I was yeah. excited right. <laughs>
1: yeah man but we'll see we'll see how it goes you'll see how it goes
0: (laughs) a couple of uh, quick fire questions here for you off the top of your head what is your favorite airport
1: Uh, flying to my favorite airport yes Um, well I have a few depends on for for different reasons tell tell me uh, Dubai is one of my favorite airports because of the complexity it's extremely busy and um it's always a challenge you know with atc instructions and demands and calls, and you know it's it's quite demanding um i enjoy flying into st lucia because of the scenery um uh miami international was a nice one to fly into just because it's miami you know um st bart's was a was quite challenging I'm sure everyone knows about St. <laughs> uh Yeah, I enjoy flying into Virgin Garda because it was a dirt strip, so that brought a new challenge. Um, There's quite a few airports that I enjoyed. Kanawhan, I'm not sure if you... It's down yeah, in the uh, Grand 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 Grenadines. Yeah. yeah. It was between two mountains, so it was always challenging getting in and out. Um, Have you ever flown into yeah, Sa- so, Sabre? No, Sabre is... I think Sabre is restricted to, like, uh, Winnie and those guys Trinata's okay. Carriers Yeah Okay um, we, we don't have permission To go into Winnie Okay what about- Over on these, this side Of the world Maybe um uh, Afghanistan it, It's quite challenging Getting into Kabul mm-hmm. So that that, that, um, that really gets you On your toes You know what I mean
0: What makes it challenging?
1: Um, basically A few things uh, It's in the middle of uh In the middle of the mountain range that that mountain range also runs right up to the himalayas so it's wow. it's quite uh a...
0: what what is your favorite aircraft i know you gotta you must have a favorite aircraft
1: favorite aircraft 787 boeing 787 mm. that's a dreamliner yes yeah it's a it's a beautiful one hopefully i can fly it one day you know
0: supposedly one of the most fuel efficient as well so
1: <laughs> yeah that's what they say you know um it's quite hard for Boeing to compete with Airbus these days. You know, you have the Airbus three hundred and fifty, but um, I like the way the Boeing seven hundred and eighty-seven looks. Sleekness. But, um, Airbus technology is on a different level.
0: So, Jerome, everything that you've been through, I have a question for you. What would you say to your twelve-year-old self? What would you tell little Jerome?
1: I would tell I would tell little Jerome that you are you are made to be different. You know, you are made to stand up. Um. You don't have to try so hard to fit in. You don't have to try so hard to be a part of the crowd. You don't have to try so hard to force yourself into these baggy jeans, earrings, or big chains, you know? That's not you. Um, You were raised to be a certain way. You were raised to be um, not like the others, you know? So just be comfortable with yourself. Um, Work hard, continue working hard, save your pennies, stay away from bad company, and and always give it your best shot, you know? Obviously, we're not perfect and we'll all make mistakes along the way. I think the mistakes are what mold us into who we are. We'll learn it from the mistakes. And, um, that's the only thing I'll tell myself to do differently. You know? I think we spend too much time as, um, human beings trying to fit in when, when we were not made to fit in. You know, we, we were made different. And I think our differences are who make, is what makes us who we are. So. I think if we spend more time trying to... If we, if we spend more time getting to know ourselves, then we'd be better
0: off. Mm-hmm. Quick fire questions. Tell me your favorite place to eat in Anguilla and Dubai.
1: <laughs> you put me on the spot, that. Uh, favorite place to eat in Anguilla. But funny enough, you know, I'm not the type to hit fancy restaurants. I've never been that type. And um, honestly, the first place I go right? He won't even believe it when I get to Angola. Make a guess. First place I... Ken's Barbecue. I Ken's Barbecue. <laughs> That's the first place I go when I get to Angola. I gotta get a barbecue chicken, I gotta get a bread, and I gotta full the, um, plate with sauce to dip my bread in. Comeback sauce, and gotta, they call it. Yeah, man, and I gotta get a bottle of c Moss. Oh, That's my boy. go-to. That's my go-to every time I get to Angola. Um, the last time we visited Angola, I went to um, Ocean Echo. It was really nice. Um,
0: I love that restaurant. The view,
1: the view is spectacular. I'm not sure what is better, if it's the view or the food, but yeah, it's it's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Dubai, favorite restaurant in Dubai, you'd have to ask my wife that because honestly, we go to a lot of restaurants, but for me, I'm not a big foodie to be honest, not a big foodie at all. Um, I go to these restaurants and we eat and I, I leave, you know, I'm not a foodie. But usually I like the coffee club. Okay. Um, it's it's just a simple uh, restaurant that we go to often. I like the wings there, you know. I'm not a foodie, bro, you know. So to be honest, uh, that question, that question is not a good one for me. But I like Ken, I like Ocean Echo, and I like the coffee club.
0: Got it. Give me one of the one of your favorite songs from the Caribbean that you perhaps listen to on your headphones when you're waiting to, uh, on
1: a flight, or you know. No point to prove, Omari Banks. Ah, no point to prove. Good you know, That's something I take. That's something I take with me all the time. Man. No point to prove. No point to prove. Good choice.
0: Good choice. Who are what? My go-to. Who are what inspires Jerome Willock? Well,
1: my late sister. She died in. Uh, February 2002. Um, She was a big factor in my life. Like I said, we moved to Angola together, so she was always in my corner. She drove me to my first job interview, and I do things with her in mind, you know? And um, that has been a huge inspiration on my life. Mm -hmm. Just um, doing things, trying to make her proud. Um, Recently, my kids, uh, my wife, and the rest of my family, you know, just trying to make them proud in whatever I do, and try to keep the Willock name flying high. Literally. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But to be honest, Crispin, um my story just goes to show you, man, if I can do it, anybody can. You know what I mean? Um, it had points that we were sleeping on cardboards. It had points that we slept in Keg's Palace because we didn't have anywhere to sleep. You know, so if I can do it, anybody could do it. You know, um, I think too much times we are... We are demotivated, or we give up because it seems out of reach. You know, but the truth is, we just need to take it one step at a time. And if you have a goal, if you have a dream, pursue it. Don't give up. Not because you you're far you, you're far removed from what you want to do, or you don't see a way. You just just keep pushing. Don't give up. Little things like googling ways to get to where you want to be you could put that situation right in your lap. You know what I mean? So I think it's important for for kids nowadays to find their niche, find out what you want to do in life, do something to get to that goal. If you want to be a chef, spend your summers in a kitchen. If you want to be a fisherman, connect with fishermen, go out with them on their boats, see if it's something that you enjoy, something that you want to do, you know? Um, Whatever you want to do, the important thing is to work towards it. As long as you walk towards it, the universe will reward you. And I think it's important that the kids nowadays can that. Well said, well said. So, Jerome, what is your next big move? The next big move? Honestly, what I've been thinking about now is how do I transition back to Anguilla? Funny enough, right? Trying to figure out how can I build a retirement home in Anguilla? And how do I wind now my years back in Angola? That's that's my next big move.
0: You're uh, just you're Dubai. just starting out, man. You're just starting out. You're no, talking about no,
1: retirement. No, no. We are happy we're happy in Dubai and we plan to stay here a few years, but at the same time it's not home, you know. So we like to set up shop in Angola and have a nice retirement home somewhere close to a beach or something, you know, that you can, <laughs> you can go home and, and chill, you know. That's that that has to be the next big move,
0: now, you, th- you just talked about having a home next to a beach. When you're on yeah. the veranda of that home, overlooking the water, whether you decide to go on the north side of Anguilla, or the south side, looking <laughs> at St. Martin, here's a question for you. When you're 105 years old, and you're looking out and wow. you have your, your, your great grandchildren, what is that thing that you would say that you're glad that you were, uh, accomplished? What is your ultimate dream, Jerome? Ultimate dream?
1: Mm. You know, honestly, I think I've accomplished everything that I've set out to accomplish. And I am content. You know, I am content. Honestly, I am content. My dreams now are for my kids. You know, when I sit down and I dream of, you know, happy times, it's hoping that my kids accomplish what they want to be. You know, my eldest son, he wants to be an athlete. Jalen wants to be a pilot. Jonathan wants to be a chef. So my dreams are for them. You know, because I'm I'm content, honestly. I'm content. You know, I think I've reached a a point in my life that I can say that I'm happy. And um, if things were to get, you know, worse tomorrow, because we've seen the effects of COVID, I I can say, you know, it was a good run. Mm. You know what I mean? I know I'm quite young, but I feel content. So now my dreams are for my kids, to be honest. And that's what we're setting up for. We're trying to get Jamar to accomplish his athletic goals. Um, Jalen loves aviation, so we're pushing him in that direction. And Jonathan spends all his time cooking. So my dreams now are for my kids.
0: Here's a question I didn't ask you. Where do you think or how do you think this COVID thing will ultimately affect the aviation industry? Uh, will, Will most pilots go to private planes or, you know, how is that going to work?
1: The COVID has done, uh, COVID has greatly impacted the aviation industry. Um, I've seen thousands of my colleagues lost their jobs over the past few months. Um, we have no idea when it's going to end. Um, currently now we are hardly flying, hardly, hardly flying. So it's, it's, it's been quite tough for the past six months, um, in the aviation industry. Um, With regards to private flying, I don't think so, because there's just not enough jobs for us. Um, So I don't think there's enough opportunities in that field. Uh, We just have to sit around and wait uh, until the traveling public regains the confidence to start flying again. Maybe we'll come with a vaccine, who knows. But uh, for now, things are looking really Mm grim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Jerome, this is a portion that I call The Planet Is Yours. I strap on my spacesuit, suit, I go into the atmosphere, and I leave you on the planet alone to say whatever it is you want to the audience.
1: The floor is yours. Say sure, whatever you um, want. I think I've said quite a lot over the past hour. Um, I just want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak to the listeners. Obviously, this is not my strong suit, and I was quite nervous, but hopefully my rambling was understandable. Like I said, our dreams are attainable. If you put your mind to it, no dream is too big, nothing is too large. Because um, if someone had told me 20 years ago that I would be by fly, flying jets to all corners of the globe, I would tell them, you know, that's not possible. You know, so it goes to show that anything you put your mind to, you can accomplish But you have to be willing to work for it. You know, you can't be lazy, you know, you can't give it half effort. You have to give it your best shot. You know, so anything you want to do in life, you can accomplish. And um, don't put down your friends who have large dreams. You know? Encourage them, even if it seems silly to you. Encourage them, because you never know. You know what I mean? You could be on the receiving it. So, yeah, that's about it for me, bro. Like um, I said, uh, thanks for having me. Um, Hopefully next time I'll do a better job getting my words crossed. No, you but, um, did an excellent job. <laughs> I,
0: I, I was on the edge of my
1: seat. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to find the words, man. But anyway, I appreciate you having me, bro, and um, I had a lot of fun talking.
0: Excellent. And one, one last question, of course, the most important question. How do we, well, first of all, what is your YouTube channel once again? And if anybody wants to follow you on social media or contact you, how can they do that?
1: Um, the YouTube channel is Fun with J. Will. It's Fun, F-U-N with W-I-T-H, J. Will. So J-W-I-L, Fun with J. Will. And if you want to contact me, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my name is Jerome Wallach, and you can just hit me up anytime. Any questions you have with about aviation, because I don't know anything else about anything. So <laughs> any questions you have about aviation, you can just hit me in I'll be happy to help.
0: Jerome Willock, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today on Planet 30. I learned a lot. Um, This was fascinating, my brother. This was fascinating. Thank you so much for being on Planet 30. Yeah,
1: bro. Thanks for having me, man. I already
0: know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on facebook.com slash planet30. Our email address is onplanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com i am crispin brooks and this is planet 30